Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 today. Uh, this is lesson number 20 in our series, and it's a bit of a transition. The first 11 chapters uh, were more dealing with Israel, with the Jews, their response, their rejections, those sorts of things. There was a lot of doctrine in, built into it, but yet it was, it was clearly, clearly Paul writing and talking about the condition of the Jew, of, 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 of their rejection, of, of the sin of man, all of those sorts of things. And so we open up with a new section of the book today in Romans chapter 12. And this is going to be much more about how to live as a Christian. So if you took a section of Bible and said, all right, what do I need to do now that I am a Christian? If you, if you want to make a, a little manual, this would be where you would turn. Romans chapter 12 through the rest of the book. There's five chapters left. And we will begin today looking into those things. So last week we, we dealt with the entire chapter, uh, Romans chapter 11. And this week we're going we're gonna to tackle two verses, verses 1 and 2. And so as we go through Romans chapter 12, we're going to slow way down. We're going to pump the brakes and we're going to take it section by section because each little section that Paul gives introduces a new topic for how we should live, how we should respond. And so I think going forward, we're just going to do little sections. We might, one Sunday, we might tackle two topics, but overall, we're, we're going to slow down. We're going to take a look at what Paul is saying. Now, as I mentioned last week, we, we won't neglect to remember that the, the direct context is Paul writing to the Romans, the church at Rome. However, we can take these verses to, to heart and, and make direct application to our lives in this day and in this time and how we should live, how we should respond to God, how we should behave as Christians and so keep that in mind. And so these, these chapters that we're entering into uh, here are, are very, very, very applicable to our lives in a, in a very direct sort of way. And so I wanted to open up the, the introduction with those thoughts. Now, let's take a, a quick look at the, the verses. We'll just read, I think I'm going to read the first eight verses, even though we're going to come back and only cover the first two verses, but that'll kind of give us a, a glance going forward of where we're headed. So Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Verse 4, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us uh, let us use it in our ministering, he who teaches in teaching, 
He who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, and who who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So we see already that Paul opens with one topic, this living sacrifices, which we'll discuss today, and then he moves right into spiritual gifts, which we'll talk about not next week, but in three weeks. I'll be back at work for the next two Sundays. Billy's going to be teaching uh, I don't know what he's covering, but he'll he'll bring you something good, I promise you. Uh, no pressure there, Billy. Yeah, yeah you're welcome. <laughs> and then uh, I should be back the, the Sunday after that. So here we go. Uh, living sacrifices. Now, most of what we know about sacrifices we learn from the Old Testament. In that sacrificial system, um, there were many types of sacrifices. For instance, the meal offering uh, would be where you brought a sacrifice and it would be divided up and some would go to God and some would go to the priest and you would take some home. Uh, there, were, there, were, there were all kinds of different, but the, the one that comes to my mind uh, most readily is the sin offering where the animal, and this, I think this is the most applicable, and I think it's where Paul is, was letting our minds go to when he uses this analogy. And that one brings this perfect lamb, this sacrifice, and, and it is given and it is, and it is killed and laid upon an altar and then burned up uh, completely. And it's for the sin uh, of the individual bringing it. Uh, and I know there were other offerings too that were corporate uh, where they did much the same thing. I'm not an authority on those by any stretch of the imagination, but we get this basic picture in our minds, or at least I do, of one bringing this uh, this animal, and the animal has to die, and it has to be burned up on the altar. And so, Paul knows that uh, they are very familiar with this ideal of sacrifice. They've grown up with it. It's been in their history since Abram, uh, and really even before that, we can trace it uh, back to the Garden of Eden, roughly, uh, where the coats of skin are provided after the sin of Adam and Eve. Now, so we envision the death of this animal when this sacrifice is mentioned. One constant in the Old Testament system of sacrifice is that it did require for one to, to give something personal, to bring something that they owned. And, and in other words, it cost them something. So the idea of sacrifice includes, it must include, uh, the, the giving up. That's what the word means, isn't it? that we, we possess something that we need, that we want, that we use, and so we sacrifice it for another cause. And so that's, that's the, the idea that's being portrayed here and that's coming forth. So it, it reveals one's faith in God uh, in a couple of different ways. First of all, if we're sacrificing, if one is sacrificing, if they're giving up something of value, it's a value to them. They are trusting in God that he is going to supply or even resupply their need. And, and so it's an act of faith. It's also a spiritual act of faith in that, uh, in that Old Testament system, when one did that in obedience, even though it was an act of faith, it was a, a physical act, and, and one is making and uh, they're, they're acting on, if you'll permit, an illogical um, presupposition that, that they're going to take this innocent little lamb and God's going to accept that for their sin. That's kind of weird, isn't it? 
we don't it's not weird to us because we're familiar that God established it and God said this is how it shall be and he's God but in any other rule book that would just be strange wouldn't it okay you sinned you did something wrong so grab this little innocent animal and slaughter it and everything's okay doesn't sound right does it but but God has established this and when they there so there was an act of faith that that outside of logic because it was in obedience to what God said and he is God then that would satisfy or be a temporary satisfaction for their sin and of course now we in this age know it was looking forward to the cross they didn't understand that they didn't know what a cross was the cross was not being used yet see and so that was not it was an act of faith even on the spiritual side of the sacrifice so they, they did so without the benefit of knowing about the cross. They had no point of reference to it. In, in chapter 12, Paul writes and uses the analogy of sacrifice in order to teach the church that we must become living sacrifices. So Paul is a master at this, isn't he? Uh, Jesus did much the same, but he would take something that's very common that everybody un- understood very, very well and then he, he would use that to explain a spiritual law or principle or doctrine. And that's what he's doing here. And he, so he takes sacrifice and he has this word living. And he talks about and he's going to teach you about becoming a living sacrifice. And that's what these two verses are all about. So what does it mean? What, what does it look like to be a living sacrifice? So... As we go into this, that's what we're going to do. We're going to consider these questions, what it means to be a living sacrifice. So, first of all, we know that Paul is imploring those at Rome. Now, Paul uses the word beseech, and that word in the English means to beg for urgently or anxiously, to request earnestly, uh, imploring. It's a 12th century word. We don't use it a lot anymore, do we? Uh, when's the last time that you beseeched somebody? It's been a while, I bet. And so we might use the word beg. That would be the most common synonym for us. But it's this idea to earnestly petition for one's own good. Earnestly petitioning for one's own good. Uh, by the way, that last little line is mine. The rest of it is from Merriam-Webster, but I added my own thought there. And that's what Paul's doing here. As he's beseeching, he's, he's reaching out. And, and remember what he wrote uh, recently in the book of Romans even. Paul's burden was so tremendous for his people, for the Jew, that he would almost give up his own salvation. And, and Paul loved, and he, he desired, and he loved ministry, and he loved his people so much. Uh, not that he didn't love the Gentile, because he did. He gave his life's work for the Gentile, and praise the Lord for that. But yet, he never lost his longing for the Jewish people. And these are the people he's writing to. When he said, when he, so when he says that I beseech you, that I implore to you, that I'm crying out to you, I'm begging you that you do these things... Uh, don't we do this for our children? Don't we want them to do the right things so badly that we just oh, we will, we will beg them to do it? We encourage them to we discipline them to do it. Why? Because we love them, and we want them to do the right thing so that they have success, so that they they grow, they mature, they do the right things, they make the right choices. This is the idea here. 
Paul is reaching out to the church at Rome and he's beseeching, he's imploring, he's, he's begging them that they do this. And that's what he's about to lay out. This idea of the living sacrifice. And so it, it's to this brethren that he's, that he's beseeching and that he's reaching out to again because of his love and his concern for them, for their, their well-being. And, and note that in doing so, he, he invokes the very mercies of God. And I think we read over that part often and don't give it its due. We don't really consider it. You know, one thing that uh, we hear in our generation is this uh, blasphemous of taking the name of the Lord in vain and taking things of holiness in vain. It's just, it's just used as a byword or curse, curse words often. Uh, I, I, I shudder even when somebody posts an OMG. I, I don't, I don't like that. That's don't take things that are holy and make them common. And and Paul would not have been guilty of that, especially in his writing here. So when we see that he does it, he invokes the mercies of God. He's he's adding to this this level of holiness and this this level of importance, this priority of it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Now, why does he say it that way? Any ideas? Why does he, he's, I'm, I'm begging you by the very mercies of God. Why would God say, or why would Paul say it that way? Any ideas? I have a couple. I'll give you just a moment. I've had a week to think about it, so I'll give you a moment. I, that seems fair to me. But, but, it, but if I said that to you, by God's mercy, you should do this. Well, where does God's mercy enter into it for us? That's the question. It's not rhetorical. Any ideas? Where did God, God's mercy enter in, into this whole idea of Christianity for you? He didn't send us straight to hell. Yeah. Absolutely. He could have, couldn't he? And been very justified. And, and so mercy is, is this... Uh, not getting what we deserve. And, and so we can all go to the time of salvation and understand that mercy is applied there. And since then, I've been shown mercy again and again and again. So it, it's not a, a one-answer question, but, but all through my life as a Christian, I've been shown mercy. And I think this is the idea that, that Paul is imploring here, that he, they do these things because they've received mercy. And they are still receiving mercy. And so because you are the church, you are the children of God, uh, I beg you that you consider the mercy that you've been shown and then do these things. And I, and I don't think he's just talking about the, what we're talking about this morning, but the rest of the book of Romans is all about do this and then do that. This is how you do this and then you do that. And he's going to build one upon the other how they should function as a believer in the church of God. See? And so that's, what he, that's where he's headed. So you do these things based upon the mercy that you've been shown by God. Then secondly, they are called to present themselves. To present. Paul calls uh, them to uh, for the submission of the body. Now, if we talk, and I'm going to kind of pause here for just a moment from the outline, and we'll talk about the 
how many have heard the term uh, the trichotomy of, trichotomy of man? It's kind of a doctrinal thing. Yeah, Billy has, uh, maybe a couple others have. So the doc, there's, and it's kind of a silly debate. There's there's some that argue for the trichotomy of man, and then others that argue for the dichotomy of man. And one means that man is made up of three parts. I know that man is made up of two parts. And they go back and forth over this, and it really doesn't matter where you land uh, on the argument because you end up at the same place. But the trichotomy of man says this, that man is, is, is one, uh, a being made up of three parts, the body, the soul, and the spirit. And the body obviously being that that relates to the physical, the soul that being that that relates to uh, man to man or, or or mankind, if you will, or our emotions and that sort of thing. And then the spirit is that part of us that relates to God and communicates with God and can understand and receive from God. And uh, the dichotomy of man says, well, no, soul and spirit are the same thing. We're just two parts made up. It doesn't matter. I mean, you can debate these things till the cows come home and nothing changes. So I don't spend a lot of time with it. I kind of lean towards the trichotomy. But Paul doesn't do that, does he? He, he calls us to, to present our what as living sacrifices, our bodies. Why does Paul do that? Does that get us off the hook and say, okay, well, as long as I show up physically and looking good, then everything else doesn't matter? Is that the idea? Oh, obviously not. But I think Paul does that because what is the least, if the trichotomy of man or the dichotomy, it doesn't matter, is, is true, what is the least important part of man? The physical body, right? That's the thing that goes away. The soul and the spirit are not going away, right? They're, they're going to, for the, for the believer, they're going to be, uh, uh, that's the part that goes to heaven. There's a new body, a spiritual body that's given, but the physical body just goes away. It's disposable, if you will. And, but yet the physical body now in this present state and for the church at Rome houses everything else, the soul, the spirit. So this idea of presenting our bodies, really what Paul is saying is bring everything. Bring every. So it, don't, obviously we know that the spirit is important to God and how we relate to him, how we receive from him, how we submit to we, we know that our soul is important and that communication ability. But Paul says, well, yeah, but your body too. The physical body also is important to God. And bring it all. Submit your bodies as a living sacrifice. So he calls for this submission of the body. Also along with that idea, it is that we are, uh, well, I'm, I'm not there yet. You can go ahead and advance it if you want. But along with this idea of submitting the body, I don't know about you, but that's what gives me the most argument. The body constantly wants this or that or the other. It's a, it's a constant, the body requires this maintenance and, and, and it has desires and it, it always wants, uh, I was standing here just a minute ago and I'm getting ready to teach and, and nothing else on mine and all of a sudden it's, my body said, donut. <laughs> Egg McMuffin. Croissant with cinnamon. And that's, that's down there in Daryl's little cafe and the body said, go boy, go get you one. And, and so 
I walked out of here and went down there and, and you know, satisfied the body. And, and that happens. We never get away from that, do we? It, it's always something, you know. And, and so the spider, and that's not a bad thing. It's just, it is, though. It is just something that is. And so this submission of the, that's one of the hardest things. And by the way, this is where one reason that fasting is such a tremendous spiritual weapon. Because it does what? It brings the body under submission to the will. Okay? And, and so that's, that's why it's so important uh, and why it should be a part of what we do and how we worship and how we learn and how we grow. So this submission of the body. And we're called, we are called pardon me, to submit as a living sacrifice. Now that varies from the Old Testament sacrifice, obviously, because in the Old Testament sacrifice, the, the animal was brought or the, the meal or whatever was bring, was brought, and it was, it, was, it was dead. It was killed. And so it was a, a one-time sacrifice. And so as we consider the idea of the living sacrifice, it is ongoing. It's not a one-time deal. And then we see, thirdly, there's a, a practical request that is given. Uh, and the request, uh, that it, it is reasonable. It's a reasonable uh, request, a reasonable sacrifice. Reading the verses again, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That seems so obvious when I read it in Scripture, when I'm standing here in Sunday school class, day to day, when it's inconvenient to me. And I'm not, I don't have the Bible open in front of me. And I'm not standing here looking at you. Uh, I don't argue that it's unreasonable, obviously. But I behave sometimes as if it is, a, it is unreasonable. I, I should do one thing, but no, I'm busy with something else. So I don't, I neglect. I refuse. And I think, you know, the sins of omission are far greater than the sins of commission. I... I don't want to get too far into that, but again, we need to recognize, and we need, and where we're heading here is the thought process of it. So keep that in mind. But the the request here is reasonable. He uses this extreme word of sacrifice. Now that's not a very extreme word in our vocabulary, but it wasn't his, and they understood that, and so. When he uses this word sacrifice, it, it is an extreme word, but he says, no, 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 no. This is just a reasonable request. Wayne, Go ahead. That, that kind of a minimal request, at least you should do this. I think you're exactly right. I, I think you're absolutely right. It is a minimal request, isn't it? And why is it minimal or reasonable? Well, because of what was done for us. If you're talking about a give and take, what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us as an actual sacrifice, this makes it a very, very reasonable request. Again, the mercies of God that are ongoing and day after day, this is a reasonable request on our part. And furthermore, just as we talked about earlier, 
as parents, we, we demand things and we guide things. We, we want our children to do certain things, but we do that not 99.9% of the time, not for our benefit, but for theirs. And so once again, a reasonable request. And my, the same is true here. This idea of being a living sacrifice is for our own good. It's not just for the glory of God. It, is, it does involve that, but it's for also our own good. Uh, also that idea of this is reasonable because it, it can be reached. It can be done, and it should be done. And, and, that's, and that's where the passage is also leading. I, I think this all, this is a great segue because I think it all culminates in where we're headed next in the outline. Because, uh, again, you know that I listen to a lot of David Guzik, and, and, and as I listen to him on this passage this week, uh, in fact, I listened several times. I, I listened to the past. Uh, there's this, this idea, and let's go ahead and get to it. Uh, we are to prove God's perfect will, and that, that's the point here. Um, I want to get, I don't want to, I'm going to go ahead and, and breeze through this last point because I want to get to what you're talking about, Jared and, and Mark. Uh, I, I think it'll come together, hopefully. It does in my mind, anyway. So, uh, how do we, how do we provo- uh, prove what is God's perfect will? Uh, well, we refuse to prevent to worldly conforming. And I, I see this word, this conforming, and, and I think of a, a mold, if you will. And you know me, I'm in the fire service, and I think of fire hydrants. And when they form fire hydrants, they pour this, uh, this iron and this hot mold, and, and it forms this, you know, this hydrant that we're very familiar with. And the idea here is that we don't conform to that mold of the world. Now, we say that, and it sounds easy here, but that's difficult day to day, isn't it? And, and, and it does, it, it's not necessarily the idea of uh, far out evil worldly things, but even just living day to day, it's so much easier to conform. And we must conform to a degree to function on a team, uh, to work. Uh, to be able to communicate, but yet we're to do that in a non-transformed, we're to conform ourselves uh, to God's way. And, and this is this is where I wanted to get to, the renewing of the mind. Catch up with me there, Matt. There you go, the renewing of the mind. Uh, so so th- here's the idea. We talk a lot in Christian uh, realms about uh praying about studying about uh doing going witnessing and preaching and teaching all those and all those things are important but the idea here of these passages is about thinking it's about renewing the mind and so what what paul is getting to here now, he's going to talk about in verses 3 through 8, next week where we go, is that act, those acts of service and how we do those things as different members of the body. It's very functional. But here where he begins, and, and, and I loved how Guzik put this, he really got me to pause and to think about it. Our job here in, in, in being becoming living sacrifices, first and foremost, requires that we stop and think we need to think on the things of god 
obviously that involves some uh, some study, but it, it, many times it's not a lot of study. Sometimes it's taking one passage or one thought or one portion of Scripture and then stop and taking the time to think about it. The Bible calls this meditation. Oh, the, the Bible has a lot to say about meditation, and this is the idea. We must think on the things of God to be transformed. But we, we are to... To stop and to pause and to think. To, to let God, this is how we transform into his way of thinking. We have to consider it. And we have to think about it. We have to work through these processes. And, and how we're going to, and, and it's not just how, but why. Why should we follow the things of God? Why should we do the thing? Why does it matter that I bring my body? Does it matter? Why do the things of God, why do some of the commands of God that don't make sense to me matter? You should think about that. It shouldn't be that you just come here and listen to me spew at you week after week after week. That's very little profit. You, Christian, need to consider the things of God and think about it. Young men, you need to think about what God wants for you. As, as you're, you're at a very pivotal point in your lives, think what God wants for you and go with that. And, and this is an ongoing day after day, week after week. We, we, and we've gotten away, and our society has gotten away from this. We are not a thinking people the way we used to be. We are reactionary. We hear something and we want to jump into action. We want to automatically, not just in spiritual things, in all things. Oh my goodness, you don't believe me, open up Facebook and just read a little bit and open the comments. Yada, 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 back and forth and yada, yada, yada. It doesn't matter. We should stop. We should think. We should consider things. And this is the idea that I, I believe Paul is putting forth. Do not be conformed to this world, but be you transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Not your, your mind, that, that part of you that, that thinks, that considers. And, and we can tie that directly to the will. See? And that's how we, we, we begin to conform, uh, transform ourselves. So, what do we do with that? Well, it creates some difficulties, doesn't it? And opportunities. Um, this uh, it will require some expense what does it cost us to renew our minds that's it time it, it, that's the hardest thing to come by isn't it <laughs> and we all have the same amount it's an ironic thing but it's going to cost you time but the that's important. You've got to sacrifice other things that are either comfortable or seem more important in the moment to renew your mind, to, to stop and to think and to give time to God, to meditate, to allow Him to feed you and, and to conform you to His will. That requires thinking and this setting aside time. So, and then we got to accept the fact that some things, if we do this, some things will have to be sacrificed. I promise you, if you meditate, if you give God uh, openness in your life, 
there's things that you're going to have to get rid of. If not, come and let me, give me your autograph. I want to know you better <laughs> because you've arrived and I have it. Uh, it'll cost you something. You're going to have to be willing to give those things up. But nonetheless, when we do this, it'll prove those things that are of God uh, and are worth sacrificing. And then lastly, everybody says, finally, lastly, there's an old cliche that's used, but it's very, very true, so worth repeating. The biggest problem with a living sacrifice is its tendency to want to crawl off of the altar because altars are uncomfortable. And so this idea of, of renewing our minds, living sacrifice, the idea is not a one-time venture. It is a daily adventure. It, it, it's this going again and again as we crawl off the altar. The body wants off of that because it's uncomfortable. The will has to say, no, body, we're going back and we're going to renew our minds again today. I had a, had a, a good friend who was really, really having a struggle. Uh, I, I mean, a serious struggle within his family. And he knew what was the right thing to do. And he said, but every time I do it, man, I turn around the next day, I'm just right back where I was. And I said, that's okay. Go again and again and again. And he did. To his credit, he did until God conquered that in his life. And he won a spiritual victory. And that's the idea. Renew your minds to conform to his will and not that of the world. I love you. I'll see you in a few weeks.